0: and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. If
1: you're able, please remain standing and turn in your Bibles with me to our text that we began last week covering verses one through five this week. We complete it. I'll read the opening five verses we covered last week and then We'll be reading also verses 6 through 11, as we come to this section of God's Word that is dealing with the judgment uh, before you. Now, would you look with me in this passage that we have already covered, but I want to have it set in your mind. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that That God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. So some of you who are visiting do not know what I'm about to refer to, but there will be a knowing look from people who are at Briarwood, and that is, whenever I talk about the gospel and its power, kind of my favorite illustration to show the world laughs at um, the world laughs at the gospel, but all we got to do is unleash the gospel. That we are unashamed and eager to preach because it's the power of God. And the illustration I like to use is when I was 16, um, I was given by my dad a, a car he bought at an auction for $75 from the South Carolina State Patrol that was a retired Interceptor. It was pink. And everybody laughed at my pink Ford, but they did not laugh at the 392 2-4 barrel engine that sucked them up off the road. So that was, um, that's my illustration. How many of y'all heard that illustration? Yeah, a couple of, well, not all of you. Let me do it again. Uh, no, um, but what you don't know and what you haven't heard is what happened the month my dad gave me that car in February of uh, that year. My dad and mom were able that year for the first time in their married life have a vacation together. And uh so my dad not only found that $75 car and got it to me but he also did it at that time because number one is my birthday and number two, they were going on this vacation that they hadn't been on for uh, years and years, 17 years. They had not taken one together alone. So now he was going to go and I was going to help him because now I had a car whereby transportation could be provided for myself and my three sisters. So he set me down and said, son, we're going on a vacation. I said, great, dad. I said, uh, who's going to be staying with us? And he said, well, here's how, here's how we're going to do it. But here's the thing you need to know. You are responsible with the car that I got you to not only get to school yourself, but you are responsible to get your three sisters, your three younger sisters to school safely, son, and I said, yes, sir. And he said, and then you drive to school, you leave that car in the parking lot the entire time you're in school. Do you understand me? And you stay in school. And then when you get out of baseball practice, you can get the car, go get your sisters and bring them home, and then um, uh, do the chores we've got outlined, and then you can go play some baseball, and then uh, your grandmother will be there to stay with you that night, and then get up and do it again. I'm gonna be, we're going to be gone five days. I said, yes, sir. So, um, you know, me, I'm just this wonderful, um, sanctified, uh, obedient son. I did everything my dad said just as he said, right? No, wrong. I did do, I did get my sister. Man, great, I get to drive the car, take my sisters to school, great. But after I did that, instead of driving myself to school, I went and picked up a couple of my friends And we decided I was going to show them what all my 57, 392, 24-barrel, 57 pink Ford could do. And that's what I did, which meant I was about to be late for school, which meant I was in a hurry, which meant I arrived at Rama Road and Monroe Road. I looked left, and then I looked right, and I forgot to look back left. And by the time I pulled out from the left came a brand-new 64 convertible Galaxy that I sliced like a can opener and totaled all the way down with my left front fender. Now, that fits him. Ford was tough, buddy. All I did was lose my um, headlight. That was it. Uh, but he got totaled, and I jumped out. He was okay. My two good buddies uh, then uh, took off running to school and left me there. The police came. Uh, they wrote me the ticket, told me I was going to appear in court, and gave me my summons to appear in court. Well, I was worried about that, but I was much more uh, worried about the court I was going to appear in front of in about five days, and that was when my dad got home. So um, so I went and dutifully confessed and told my dad what I'd done. I've never, when he came up, he didn't say, well, I mean, um, you know, what'd the police do? What'd that guy do? What'd this do? He just looked at me and I it was vintage uh, dad. He said, what'd you do, boy? And I said, "Well, Dad, this is what I did." And then I explained. And he said, "Well, now let me tell you what's going to happen." Um, he and then he unfolded the court summons. He said, "Here's your case. Here's your number. Here's your charge. Here's your indictment. And this is the day we go to court. I'm going to go with you, son. But um, you've now grown up, and we're no." He said, "You are growing up." He would not have said I was grown up. You are growing up. Therefore, when we get there, I'll go with you. But you're going to stand in front of the judge, not me. You're responsible. You're accountable. You did it. And now he will tell you what he will do in light of what you did. And I said, "Okay." so we got there. And sure enough, it didn't help me to know that the judge that we were appearing in front knew who he was. It didn't help me to know that in Charlotte he was known as Bullet Bob. So uh, that was not an encouraging thing to hear. But we got there and then he looked at me and uh, said, Ike Reeder. I said, yes, sir. He said, are you Harry Reader's boy? And I got a little glimmer of hope. Well, he knows my dad. A lot of people know my dad. And maybe I'm going to get some mercy out of that. And I found out that wasn't true. And he said, what in the world is the son of Harry Reader doing in front of me? And I so I knew that, but this wasn't working real well. And so um he said, no. And then I heard the same thing. Well, what'd you do, boy? And uh so I told him, and he said... Um, and then he said, well, um, he said, aren't you glad that guy's still living back there, the guy you hit? I said, yes, sir. He said, you know, I think your dad and mom are glad you're living too, aren't you? And I said, yes, sir. He said, well, uh, he said, here's, here's the penalty. And right before he did it, my dad stood up beside me, and he said to the judge, he said, um, uh, Judge, um, I think my son is going to be a very good driver. He just needs some experience. Then I'll remember exactly what was said to me. He looked at me and he said, your dad thinks you're going to be a good driver. I said, yes, sir. I said, you glad to hear that? I said, yes, sir. He said, you think we can keep you alive long enough, boy, for you to learn to be a good driver? He said, so give me your license, two months, and go get in your car with your daddy and learn what you hadn't learned yet and then come back and see me. Now, I tell you that story because... I believe that is what Paul is doing for you and me right now in this text. You know, we we began in Romans 1 and we had this glorious introduction of who Paul is, what's on his heart, and that he is about to write an exposition of the gospel of God. And then... He did this wonderful little thing to say, I'm eager to preach it and I'm not ashamed of it. And he unpeeled for us just a little bit of it. The grace of God revealed from heaven through the Son of God to save sinners by the grace of God, through the power of God and the righteousness of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for in it the righteousness of God, is revealed from from uh, in, in it. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous shall be saved by faith. Well, you know, this is a that and that kind of wet our appetite. Now, folks, I want you to know something. He is not anywhere near through talking to us about the breadth, the height, the length, the depth and the width of the gospel of God. We're going to start dive in in chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, and then we're going to sing a gospel hallelujah for all of chapter 8. It is an extraordinary exposition of the gospel, but he's not going there first. He left this grace of God revealed, and then he moved immediately to the wrath of God revealed against the Jew and the Gentile and all of humanity. He's working the indictment against all of humanity. Now, why is he doing this? This is very important that you get this. The gospel of God is a great message and the great and glorious message is this. Jesus saves all who confess Their sins and put their trust in Him. Now, listen to me. Put their trust in Him. They turn from their sins to put their trust in Him who saves them from their sins. He saves us from our sins. He doesn't save us from poverty, He doesn't save us from the brokenness of this world. He doesn't save us uh, to success in life. The gospel is he saves us from our sins. He saves us from the power of our sins. He saves us from the penalty of our sins. He is saving us from the practice of our sin. He will save us from the presence of sins. He doesn't save us with the gospel message from the consequences of sin throughout the world directly. What he does is he saves us from our sins. He saves us from the power, the penalty, the persuasion, increasingly from the practice and ultimately from the presence of sin. That's why you come to Jesus You don't come to Jesus because I can be in a church and make connections for my business. You don't come to Jesus because I need a social group. You don't come to Jesus because I think I could get a pretty good spouse if I get among Christians. All of those things are dealt with in the gospel life, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is. He saves us from our sins. And you. And Paul knows you will never come to him to be saved from your sins until you know, number one, you're a sinner. Number two, you're helpless. You're dead in your sins. Number three, you're hopeless. Nobody here can save you. And number four, there is a day of judgment and accountability for what we have done in the body. That's why he's taking the time to do this. He's not offering. Um, he's not offering a world-defined gospel. He is offering a biblically defined gospel. Jesus saves us from our sins. Therefore, he is taking the time to explain to us things that we know we should ask, but we're not asking. He's going to make sure you hear them because you can't declare your trust in Christ through the good news if you haven't believed what God has said with the bad news. I'm a sinner undone and I and Humpty Dumpty can't be put back together again. I need a savior. I need something greater than my sin. And one day I'll stand before God to give an account. And when I stand, I only have one hope. And that is the one whom I stand before, who has come to bring judgment. I have come to him because he came first to bear my judgment. But I'll be there on that judgment day. And why? That's what he's getting at. In other words, Paul, so that you will make an appointment to come to Christ as Savior, Paul's trying to tell us as sinners, you've got two appointments because of our sin. Hebrews, it is appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. And if we are not alive when Christ comes. We all have both of those appointments. I don't have your calendar in front of me. So I don't know what all is on your appointment. I do know you probably got appointments next week. I know I've got appointments next week. But there's two appointments and I don't know where they go on my calendar. But God has told me they are divinely ordained, inescapable appointments. That is... If Christ doesn't come first, my death, it will either be to glory or to condemnation. And because when I die, I will appear before a judgment seat that will reveal either a life that was changed by grace or a life that rejected grace and lived upon and for myself. That's what Paul is driving at. My guess is you don't hear this sermon many times. But what we do today is simply, well, you know, let me see. What can I do? I'm a. I need a coach me up talk for people, folks. Um, I'm like Paul. I would much rather give you my five points on uh, my five points on how to have a a happy life or something like that in, in the flesh but I can't. I've got to speak the truth in love to you. That's why I'm grateful to preach through Scripture because when you get to these texts... God put them there, this is God's word and God's got a reason for it and we need to understand it the content and the context it is absolutely crucial and the apostle Paul is about to give multiple chapters to the explanation of the gospel but he's now first giving some multiple chapters because here's what he's showing the gospel is going to the Jew and to the Gentile so what does he show in chapter 1 verses 18 through verse 32 he shows you that all pagan Gentiles Are are indicted before God. There is none that is innocent. And that God gives us over to our sins. And then he knows that out there are people that are patting their foot and saying amen. So he then goes in chapter 2, which I just read, verses 1 through 5, to remind those who are saying, those who bring judgment of others, that is, that is not pagan Gentiles now, but religious Gentiles, that you who convict others and do the same yourselves, you are under God's judgment. So now all the Gentiles have been placed before the bar of God's justice, and what is the verdict? Guilty. And beginning in chapter 2 and verse 12, he is now going to march the Jewish people before the bar of justice, and what's going to be the verdict? Guilty. In fact, This section, chapter 1, verses 18, that brings pagan Gentiles and religious Gentiles and then the Jewish people with all of the privileges that had been given them as God established covenant with them, he's going to get to a final verdict with all of humanity before the bar of God's justice, and the final verdict is this, all have sinned, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and in the midst of this indictment process by Paul, who is bringing the charges against us, so that we will flee the wrath to come, Jew and Gentile to Christ, who saves Jew and Gentile, while he is bringing this indictment, right in the middle, he gives us this little ellipsis in chapter two verses five uh, six through eleven to let us know what happens at the judgment day? In fact, he says, I'm going to answer three questions that you're not asking, but you need to ask, and Paul is answering for you. Here's the first one. Who will be there? Who will be there at the judgment day? So if you'll take your Bibles, normally I quote these verses for you. But because I know we're delving, we're moving into an area that's going to require, I'm pleading with you to play, pay very close attention to, to grasp this because of all of the distortions around the matter of the judgment seat in general and believers in the judgment seat in particular. So hang with me very clearly. Let's build our doctrine in this area from God's Word. I want to ask you to go to a couple of passages with me. Would you go first of all with me to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to go there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What does the Apostle Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5? Slip down to verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Now watch. For why why do I live to please Him? There are multiple reasons. He's given you just one. Why does he live to please the Lord? Multiple reasons. Did you hear me? Not just one. Multiple. But here's one. For. What's the next word? We. Does that include Paul? How many of y'all think Paul's a Christian? Well, I do. He's going to be there. For. We. Are you a Christian? You'll be there. Will the unbeliever be there? Yes. Book of Revelation says angels, lost angels and faithful angels. Satan will be there. That all of God's created beings will be there. That we will be there. For we must. There is no pass go. There is no easy pass where you slide around that day. There is no lost file. There is no skipping over the number on the docket. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? For judgment. So that each one may receive what is due. That's payback. That's pay up. That we receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now let me give you a little hint here because I know what you're thinking I know what you, Pastor, we're not saved by works. And there's none good, no, not one. You're right, unless God's grace has shown up. And in that day, the judgment will reveal, the judgment of works will reveal the condition of the heart. Whether good or evil. Now, why is that important? You see, we're about to get to a section that describes lost humanity with biblical phrases in Romans 3. And one of them is this. I love to do this. People will say, I'll say to people, how are you doing? And they'll say good. And I just say, well, there's none good. No, not one. But we are and can do good if we are saved. Do you get it? Do you starting to get it? At the judgment seat, if people have by, have done good, it's only by what? God's grace and does what they do reveal God's redeeming grace in their life we stand there before him all of us we stand there before him accountable to him would you take your bible and um, and go with me to second peter i'm sorry first peter chapter 2 first peter chapter 2 1st Peter chapter 2 Now what does what does Peter say to us about our life as sojourners and aliens in this world? Well, this is what he says. Uh, go to verse 11. Beloved, I urge you, beloved, that's Christians, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct, the way you live, what you do, the works of your life in the body. Keep them, what? Keep them among the Gentiles, underline this, honorable, live an honorable life before the Gentiles. Now, what are they going to call your honorable life? They're going to call good evil and evil good. So when they misrepresent you and vilify you, so that when they speak, not if, but when they speak against you, calling your honorable life evil doing, they may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify God when? On the day of visitation, that is divine visitation, divine judgment. Well, how can unbelievers be forced to glorify God for the way I live my life if I'm not there on that day and my life isn't unfolded before them? So clearly, not only are unbelievers there, but believers are there. And he has them there for a purpose. Now, if you will, let me just say, why would Peter, John, James, I mean, they're all, they all, and the Old Testament declares this day of judgment. The New Testament affirms it, whether it's John or James or Peter or or Paul. I mean, why do they do it? Why does, why? for instance, why does James tell preachers and teachers, let not many of you become, let not many of you become teachers, my brothers, because as such, you incur a what? Does anyone know what the next says? A stricter judgment. Well, I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. I not only will appear at the judgment, I'll get a stricter one on that day. In terms of what I did with my stewardship of my teaching, preaching, ministry. I'll give an account of it. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Each man on the day of judgment's work will be tested by fire to reveal wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious jewels. So then, where do they get this? Well, they get it from Jesus. Take your Bibles and go to one more text with me. Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16. Go to Matthew with me. Again, I, I could just go through Jesus' life. On that day, I'll divide the sheep and the goats. Well, what does that tell you? Sheep, those believers, they're there. Goats, they're there. On that day, every man will receive under his recompense. On that day, I will reveal the thoughts and the words of a man. And you will give an account for all of your words. Words, thoughts, deeds. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Uh, slip down, if you would, to verse um, uh, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father. And then he will what? Repay, recompense, render to each person according to what? The works he's done in life, thought, word, and deed according to what he has done. And so he says, some of you will not taste death. But now I want you to, so now I want you to go back to Romans 2 with me. Go back to Romans 2 with me. So who is going to be at the judgment? It's very simple. All of humanity and the, and, and the angelic world. All of us will be there. All of us are appointed to be there. All of us are there. And the book of Revelation says some of us are, are our lives and their works are recorded by Christ in the book of life and some in the books of judgment. But we're all there at that judgment. Take, take a look, if you would, in Romans chapter two. And uh, let's just um, finish up by looking at these verses That tell us the second question, what's going to happen at the day of judgment? What happens there? Well, look with me in Romans chapter two and verse six. Here's that phrase again. On that day, he will render to each one. According to his works. Now notice there's only one judgment. There's not multiple judgment. It's multifaceted. And there are multiple purposes in the judgment. But it's one judgment. One divine judgment. He will render to each one according to his works. To those. Now watch. There's one group. Remember Jesus says there's sheep and goats. There's saved and there's lost. There's one group there. When their life is examined. This will be the profile of the verdict. To those who by patience, may I ask you to put another word there? Perseverance. Patience. Perseverance. You've heard of the perseverance, the patience of Job. That's what it's referring to. Let me tell you what word's not there. Perfection. Not perfection. That on that day, my people who are there, who have eternal life, they will be profiled by patience or perseverance in what? Doing good. Well doing. Seeking for glory. The glory of God. And honor and immortality. That there will be one group when the verdict is rendered This group is profiled by not perfection, but perseverance. And look at their life. There is not perfection. They are saved by the blood of Jesus, but their life has manifested the reality of their salvation. Here's their profile. Perseverance in doing good. And their life is marked by three things. They seek honor. They seek what is honorable. They seek to say what's honorable, do what's honorable. My goodness, if if this could just be captured in the church of Jesus Christ tomorrow, it would be amazing what would happen if we sought by, by word, thought, and action that which is honorable. And then that which is seeking glory. The glory of God becomes... No longer is the Westminster Shorter Catechism just a question one on a page it becomes written on the pages of our life the chief end of man by creation redemption and providence the chief end of man is to glorify God or as you just sung you gave me my breath you gave me my lungs the breath you gave me filled my lungs why that I might praise you that the glory of God is written on the pages of life And immortality, eternity. When I have my children, I don't see my children simply as something about me. They're not there for me. I'm there for God in them. It's not I'm there for them. I'm there for God to give them to God. That's what I'm there for. I want them to know Christ and make Christ known. I want, look at all of the things that God has brought into my life. How do I use those? Well, the verdict and the profile will be they sought to do well, not perfectly, but with perseverance. In other words, they not only had a changed record, they had a changed heart. And the evidence was not in the perfection of life, but in the perseverance of their life and the markings of their life, which is glory, honor, and eternality of the souls of men and women. Those people at work, I don't just see them revolving around me. I see them as answering to God one day, and I've got a message to live and share with them. Their souls are eternal. So here is that marking, but that's not the only verdict. There's another, not only eternal life, there's another verdict of God's wrath. Who? How are they profiled? But for those who are self-seeking, they don't deny self or kill self. With persistence, they preserve self, rely on self, are absorbed with self, and they do not, they do not obey the truth. They do not, but let me tell you what they do obey. Self-centeredness. They obey unrighteousness. Well, what is the verdict for that profile? The verdict for that is wrath and fury. And there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does that evil. In other words, if my life is self seeking, disregarding, disobeying God's word and pursuing rebellion against God, and my life reveals it, then I will have the wrath of the Lamb poured upon me. The place is called hell, and on the way to it, they will cry out for mountains to avalanche on them rather than the wrath of the Lamb. But there's another profile of those who have been saved by grace And their life didn't save them, but their life revealed their salvation. So why are Christians there? Why are authentic Christians at the judgment seat? Why are they there? I I can't preach this. I can only give you the headings. Number one, to let us know who are the authentic Christians. That's why they're there. Not everyone, remember what Jesus said? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, Jesus tells us about this day, that on this day, there will be many who will say to me, Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? Look at all, look at the books I wrote. Look at what I did. Or let me go to my guild of the preachers. Look at the baptisms I did. Look at the, uh, look at the books I wrote. But that's not the issue. Does your life reveal, do the works of your life reveal a heart relationship with me? Many, many will say, I will say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. At the day of judgment, God, and I don't mean this to be trivial. At the day of judgment, God's not going to send a note to Matt Moore, stated clerk of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. Could you send me a list of the members? And then he reads through it and says, okay, the following people can uh, hit pass, go. No, no. No, no. He will call us to the tribunal. And on that day, our life and its works can't save us. But it will reveal whether we're saved or not. There is no such thing. As a man and a woman who has a changed record, if there's not the evidence of a changed heart. If there's a root, there will be fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100 hundredfold. Will they be perfect? No. But there will be a change. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He's not perfected yet. That's in the new heavens and the new earth. But he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And no longer does the power of sin and the practice of sin rule. He's still got sin in him. And then the day of judgment, it will be revealed whether not only uh, it will be revealed by our works, whether we had a new heart, which will then be inseparably tied to the fact that we have a new record. And there is our perfection, the work of Christ for us. You see, that day is a day of clarification. Who are his? It's a day of rectify. It's not only a day to clarify, it's a day to rectify. On that day, unbelievers, as our lives with all of their imperfections are poured out and God's grace that's greater than our sin will be manifested to some degree or another, they will have to glorify God. Not because of us, but because of what God did in us. That's what Peter tells you. It's a day that puts a governor on our life. Boy, I've thought about this this last week to know that I'm going to give an account for every thought, word, and deed in my life. I know I'm saved by grace. I know there's no condemning judgment that awaits me because Jesus, the judge, came and died for me and I came to him. But when I get there, I do not want to bring displeasure. I want to bring a smile to my father. That's the anticipation of it, isn't it? On the one hand, God, this is a governor on my life. I don't have a secret life. I may think I've got a secret life, but I, what's done will be revealed on the housetops. I don't have a secret life. I may think I've got one, but I don't have one, and that day will prove it. So God, let me live transparently before you. Thank you for your patience with me. But your patience is designed not to lead me to carelessness, but to lead me to carefulness and repentance. That's what it's designed for. On that day, the secrets of the heart will be revealed. The works will reveal the heart and the heart will reveal the reality that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. So it's a governor, but it's also an artistic. I don't know. I can't do justice to this, but I want to try to tell you. I feel like on that day, we're going to be like the little kid that comes home from school. You know, second grade, learning to draw, draws a picture of mommy or daddy or mommy and daddy and comes home and says, look, do you think that child, when that child presents that to his father and mother, that drawing with the crayons going everywhere and do you think you're saying, oh, I'm so ashamed of this? No, it's not perfect. But it's a way to declare who you love. And I don't know a daddy or mother that look at it and say, hey, go take a look at Michelangelo. You're a long way from that. You will be thrilled. And I say this reverently. God rejoices in our baby steps our young men's strides and our old men's consistency in Christ and on that day he'll reveal it and he'll get all the glory for our many times inept but intentional loving commitment to honor glorify the eternal god of glory and majesty even with our fault this is a day of doxology as God will be praised for the glory of His grace, it's a day of clarity. It'll be abundantly clear on that day. God didn't run around the world picking the picking, picking the first of the litter. God saved sinners. Can I tell you something else? It's going to do on that day. On that day, you that day that day you will be able to sing "Amazing Grace" like you've never ever sung it before. Because grace is amazing because it's greater than what? Our sin. I don't know your heart. I don't know your sin. You know your heart and your sin. But you don't even know all of your heart and your sin. But on that day, you may now think it's amazing that you've been saved by grace. You and I have no idea of the height, the breadth, the depth, and the length of God's love and grace for us. Like we will know on that day. And with the angels who long to look, we will sing praise to the God of glory and grace. Well, here, let me close in prayer. Here's the takeaway. One judgment there will be two peoples, saved and lost, sheep and goats. There will be two profiles. The lost, the evil heart will be revealed through the judgment of works that will be profiled self-seeking, embracing of sin, disregard, disobedience of truth, and the profile of the believer with the believing heart, perseverance, patience. Persistence, not perfection, and a changed life. Now, not self, but glory. Now, not self and rebellion, but now, honor, glory of God, honor to God, and the anticipation of eternity with God. There's two destinations the children of wrath, it's hell, to the children of grace. It will be the new heavens and the new earth. And let me tell you something else that judgment is going to provide. A judgment of stewardship as to our roles and responsibilities in heaven. That God, we're in this thing called the lifestyle of stewardship. What's the one thing required of a steward? Anybody remember? Found faithful. On that day, the believer's judgment will not only glorify God, shut the mouths of unbelievers, will not only reveal our heart, which will declare our new record in Christ and that we are forgiven because the evidence of faith has been manifested, and then it will not only do all of that, but it will give glory to God that day, and it will provide the stewardship whereby our assignments to God's glory are delivered for all eternity. What were we what did we do with what God gave us? Boy, well, I tell you. Do you know some of the men and women God has allowed me to know in my life? What have I done with it? Look at all the Lord's days God's given me. What have I done with them? Look at the privilege I have to preach and teach and Pastor and shepherd, God's people. Look at the books he's let me have and read. Look at the wife he's given me, the children and grandchildren he's given me. And to be a good steward, it can't be about me. It's got to be about glory and honor. And the eternal praise of God. This profile statement of a believer that will be revealed at the judgment, this profile statement is not a summation. Well, let me put this this is not a profile statement. Eternity, honor, glory, perseverance. This is not a profile summation of the work. Please listen now. This is not a profile summation of the works you must do to be saved. This is a profile summation of the works that are done by those who are saved. No one... Who is forgiven of their sins by grace. Will show up at the judgment seat. Unchanged by grace. It may be 30 You say well pastor what about a deathbed conversion. Okay. How many deathbed conversions are there in the Bible. One. You remember him. When they went to the cross. You remember the thief. You remember the thief. What did he do. He's guilty, probably murder, probably theft. What else? Well, another thing is he's mocking Jesus. Another thing, he's joining everybody spitting on Jesus. But sometime in the next six hours, hearing God's word, seeing God work, and watching the Son of God, he went from a mocker to a confessor. He went from his sarcasm to his conviction. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Jesus, you're my only hope. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. Remember me. And then the man who mocked began to worship and call everyone out. Then he became an evangelist calling everyone else. And then he acknowledged, I'm here rightly, but he's here wrongly. But he's here for me, and I want him to be merciful to me. That will be revealed on the day of judgment. That thief changed life, not a perfect life, change life. And we hear uh, there was a movie out recently that said um, what you do echoes into eternity and I've heard preachers use that and I understand why what you do really counts folks. your parenting, your ministry, Lord's day, preaching. God's Word, those Bibles you own, the marriage you have, all that stuff echoes into eternity. But if you get this right and you understand the judgment seat and how God uses this to authenticate and to declare to the world the evidences that His grace was greater than our sin, then you realize that what we do as believers doesn't just echo into eternity. It is amplified by the divine loudspeaker for eternity. it is a glorious declaration Christ the god of glory you see when you stand there all of humanity will be all of humanity will be in front of the judgment bar except one and that's the one sitting there Jesus by a man came death by a man came also the resurrection of the dead Who gives us a changed life that shows a changed heart, that gives us a changed record? It's Jesus. And he has already appeared before the judgment seat for you and me. That when we appear there, it will be for him and because of him and unto him. To him be the glory forever and ever. I'll never forget when when Bullet Bob was looking at me and I knew I was undone. And I heard the chair shift. And up came my dad. Well, I have a hard time putting this into illustration that makes full sense. But here's what I know. The same one who is the inflexible judge to bring judgment is the same one who stands beside me as my defense lawyer because he bore my judgment to change my record, change my heart. And manifest it on that day, not with a perfect, but a changed life. How do you want to stand there? Which people? With those who bear the marks of his grace, covered by his righteousness and blood? Or those who bear the marks that call for his wrath? Come to the blood of the Lamb today that you will not be under the wrath of the lamb on that day and on that day manifest glory to the lamb with the new life we have in Christ father thank you for the moments we could be together in your word thank you for the privilege to just to spend these moments god this is uh, this is so crucial I know everyone under the sound of my voice is going to stand that day before you. And there's only one way that they can stand in that day. And then the anticipation that while we did not do all that we wanted to do, we'll never be a profitable servant. On that day, the Lord will affirm his work of grace in the lives of servants who have done well seeking glory, honor, and immortality through the patience of Jesus and through perseverance of love. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205 776 5200.